I received the fullness of the Spirit when I was born again. Has your life, dear listener, borne that out? What have been the overwhelming testimonies throughout the ages about this in the church? It is possible, dear listener, but not likely or common. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as the disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded and you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. If you go to any of those places, make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. We are meeting in homes at this time. If you would like to um, hook up together with some of those meetings, if you're searching, then we would ask that you would contact us. Uh, We are going to be back out in the square again, uh, probably in the month of April, and uh, we're still trying to figure out what time we're going to be there, trying to um, just work out times between when we're meeting in homes and when we're doing that and what works for everybody. So we'll let you know when we know. And so you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We had taken a break talking about the kingdom of God uh, for a short while, but now we're going to pick up the series that we were doing on holiness. Once again, this is from uh, Leslie Wilcox's book, Um, where he outlined a bunch of different aspects of holiness and the scriptures there were using that as a skeleton. Um, So that is Leslie Wilcox, Be Ye Holy. God's Revivalist Press uh, puts that out. Press puts that out. Um, So this morning, though, we are going to be dealing with holiness as a second work of grace. Uh, Many in the evangelical spectrum would agree that God commands, desires, and provides for holiness in some manner. Uh, We saw that the last lesson in this series that many people are up in arms against the idea of holiness being an instantaneous work of grace. We also saw how the Bible makes it abundantly clear that this work of God is instantaneous. If you have not seen that, then look for holiness and instantaneous work of grace. I believe that is, I can't remember which number that is. You'll have to look back there, but that is the title of the lesson in this lesson. We are here going to look into the Bible to see when, in fact, this work is to take place. Some say it takes place when we are saved. There is scriptural warrant for that uh, as far as Cornelius and his household received the fullness of the Spirit, and it seems to be one in the same time as he was saved, or it is possible that he was saved before with faith in Christ, even though it was kind of veiled darkly, and then Peter explained it more clearly to him. So that could venture uh, some possibility there in that area. Some say it happens through a gradual process, which we disproved in earlier things, 
uh, you do not grow out of a disease of soul. You have it cleansed. You have that taken care of through the work of God, uh, through the work of the cross, the blood of the cross, through Jesus Christ. Others believe that this will happen at death. I think we dealt with that in some respect in some of the earlier uh, episodes there. But uh, suffice it to say that the scriptures say death is the last enemy, not the savior. If death was going to be the thing that sanctifies us, then Christ and his power is underneath the power of death, at least for that thing. And we understand that's crazy. Our, our question though is, what does the Bible teach? That's what we would like to know. So we are going to jump right into that. The Bible shows that persons already regenerated, already born again, already saved, need to be sanctified holy. Let's look at the case of the apostles. Jesus prayed for the apostles' sanctification, John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Jesus said that they were already not of the world. That cannot be a title given to somebody who is not, uh, who, if somebody's born again, they're not of the world. That is the scripture teaching on this matter. Uh, so John 17, 14, same high priestly uh, prayer area there in the scriptures. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Seems to be speaking of saved, born again believers. That's the apostles. Jesus said that they already belonged to him. I pray for them, John 17, 9 through 10. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. That cannot be said of sinners. Also with the apostles, he said that they had obeyed his word. Now, people in the world may be able to obey certain precepts in the scriptures in some fashion or form, at least out, outwardly it appears that way. But the only people that can truly obey God are the ones that are born again. They're obeying him from the heart. And no doubt that has effects in their outward life. But he said that they had obeyed his word. So John 17, 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So keeping God's word is obedience. Uh, John 17, 8, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So here we find that, that Christ had given his, his words to the disciple. They received them, which implies their obedience. They received the word. John 17, 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. I kept them in thy name. Uh, so that keeping there is evidenced in their obedience to him. So Christ is saying, these are a different people. They are kept from the world. They are a called out people. They are a separated people. They live like it. They obey my word. So we realize that Jesus is talking to his apostles and about his apostles, the need to be sanctified. But in the same high priestly prayer, Jesus also gives very clear evidence that these men were born again. He said they were heirs of eternal life. John 17, 2, <clears throat> excuse me. And thou hast given him power over all flesh 
that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And he said that the Father had given him the apostles, therefore he had given them eternal life. Their names were written in the book of heaven, the book of life, uh, as it was also spoken of Jesus earlier in the Gospels. They were saved people. So we find that in the evidence uh, or the case of the apostles. Let's move on to another place in the scripture which would bear out this same thing, the case of the Thessalonians. So we can look at the Thessalonians and their conversion, their salvation experience. They were born again. They were regenerated. We look in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So how can these, how can sinners have an un, uh, unceasing labor of love, faith, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is obviously talking about saved people. The Thessalonians were saved people. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Okay. So first of all, they became followers, which implies that they were disciples, which implies that they were hearing the word of Christ and obeying it and living it out. Also, it says that they receive the word in affliction. Oftentimes, those that are not truly Christians, when they have a profession in name only and affliction and troubles come, they're nowhere to be found. They jump ship. Here we say that, or here we find that they had received God's word in the middle of that affliction. They did not turn around. They did not repent of their decision to follow Christ. They did not repent of their repentance. But instead, they received it with joy of the Holy Ghost. And no sinner can receive God's word with joy of the Holy Ghost. That is impossible. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So this evidences a repentance in their lives as they turn from idols to the living God. This helps us to realize the Thessalonians were a saved and converted people. Then we look into their need of sanctification. So uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.13, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now you may say for a moment, this says at his coming. I do, I would say anyone can look this up if you have Strong's Concordance, I want to say it's Robert Robertson's Morphological something concordance, RMAC. Uh, it can tell you different parts of speech. Look in lexicons that you can look at what words were in Greek, how they're translated in English. Uh, there are other tools too, and I cannot remember. I only remember LSJ is the abbreviation of these. It tells you how these Greek words were understood in the common Greek language of their day as they examine different writings. Where it says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus... It is strange that the word is here translated at, and in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it is translated unto the coming of the Lord. So there doesn't seem to be any contextual reason as to why this is translated differently than the other place. And this can very well be translated uh, unto the coming of our Lord, establishing us blameless in holiness in this life and keeping us in that state, in that life until he comes back. That is the sense of the passage. Um, but there's clearer um, verses that help us to see that without me having to point out this part. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, 
even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Many say uh, this verse is not specifically talking about entire sanctification, but the context of this verse proves otherwise. If you were to look at the broader context and read verses 1 through 7, he, he addresses them as brethren, and he says, uh, he exhorts you by the Lord Jesus that as you've received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God. So this refers to their entire Christian life, not just the matter of fornication. Um, so ye would abound more and more in that obedience and walk with God. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, which was an issue there in Corinth, a big issue, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, that is his own body, and being able to carry himself in holiness, not in the lust of concupiscence, which was a problem there, as I had mentioned, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now here's another issue, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. So that's in anything, which they also had troubles with. They would bring each other to law and sit before the judgment seat there in the public arena. It was like a Judge Judy of their time. So he's saying, you need to hold your vessel in sanctification and honor. You cannot live in fornication. You should not defraud your brother in any manner because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. This is specifically speaking of an entire life of holiness and not simply just fornication, though that is included. So it is the will of God, even your sanctification, the broadest meaning of sanctification, a holy heart and a holy life. Then we read, uh, and I already had mentioned this before, but for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. This is God's will. And he's speaking to Christians, converted people, as we had already mentioned and we've gone through the clearest passage here in first Thessalonians is first Thessalonians 523 and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or entirely and I pray God your whole spirit soul and body the whole of your being the whole of your existence the whole of your person I pray that that be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ so excuse me here is where it says <clears throat> That word, after it says unto the coming, that word unto is the same Greek word as at that we dealt with just a little while ago. However, in here you have a contextual uh, word that helps us to realize that this should not be understood that we will be um, blameless at his coming, but we will be blameless beforehand and be preserved in that way. And that word is what I just said, preserved, that your, your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. And you think about preservation of food items. It's uh, so say something like um, pickles. Uh, you preserve them. You 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 process them in a certain way. You put them in a brine or whatever, and they are preserved. And they can be shelled for a long time. I know my mother in law uh, does canning and such. And there are uh, pickle jars that are over 10 years old that are still good. They have not spoiled. They've been preserved. And we're told that God wants to do a work inside the hearts of believers that is a sanctifying work that sanctifies entirely and wholly our, our spirit, soul, and body in order to preserve us blameless until Jesus comes back. That is the clear teaching of these uh, particular verses. Let's look at the case of the Corinthians. Their Christian experience we are told about in 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 8. I thank my God always on your behalf 
for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are told that the grace of God is given you by Jesus Christ and that their testimony of Christ was confirmed in them. We're told that. That is very clear. We're also, however, told about their carnal condition. Um, we read 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, <clears throat> by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So they were dividing one another and fighting and arguing with one another. First Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, he says it explicitly. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So here, they are babes in Christ, they are saved, but there's a problem in their heart, and he addresses them as carnal. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are not uh, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? This, by the way, is not an excuse for us to live in a carnal Christian state. This is a dangerous place to live, and it must be dealt with through the cross of Christ and our obedience to him. So that helps us to realize their need of sanctification simply by what, we, what we're told here and the warning that's coming. But also we hear uh, Paul saying it explicitly in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Remember, perfecting holiness here is talking about completing the holiness that was begun in the work of regeneration by the work of entire sanctification. So we receive a measure of holiness when we are saved, and yet we realize that there is a corrupted something within us that is, is warring against our highest oughtness and our love towards God. So we see this in the case of the Corinthians. How about the case of the Hebrews? We read about their Christian experience, Hebrews 3.1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the holy calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, so there he is saying that they're Christians. 3.12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, so they can't depart if they don't have it, from the living God. Hebrews 3.14, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So they already had a confidence in him. They were already saved. Then we read about their need of holiness. Uh, Hebrews 4.11, uh, excuse me, let's do Hebrews 3.12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So they were saved people, and yet they had an evil heart of unbelief. They had something in there that needed to be taken care of. Hebrews 4.11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Remember, this rest is not the rest of the first work of grace, because these people are clearly already saved, as Paul has told us, or I say Paul... That's what I believe. It could be someone else, perhaps. Uh, remember also that this rest cannot be speaking of the rest of heaven because then the writer of Hebrews would be commanding uh, the 
uh, Hebrew people to enter into rest that very day and ultimately having to commit suicide if he was urging them to enter the rest that very day. So this is the rest of faith. This is a need for holiness of heart in Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Young's literal translation says it this way. Wherefore, having left the word of the beginning of the Christ unto the perfection, we may advance, not again a foundation laying of reformation from dead works and of faith on God. So um, I've got some note here about some Greek word, which I'm going to skip at this point. Uh, But that helps us to realize the Bible shows that persons already saved have a need to be sanctified. The Bible shows that the men already converted were baptized with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So uh, the record may be plainly read in Acts chapter 2. There are different claims, however, that they were converted or reclaimed on the day of Pentecost. They were either saved right then or they had backslidden like Peter and were converted again. Maybe they were justified uh, but not regenerated before Pentecost. So they were kind of, in this legal sense, forgiven of their sins, but they needed the regenerating work, and that's what happened in Pentecost. We will now see how that the disciples were genuinely born-again Christians prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So it was possible to experience regeneration before Pentecost. This is shown by scriptures relating to the period before Pentecost, which definitely describe a born-again condition and nowhere hint that it was not yet obtainable. John 1.12 But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Uh, John 3, 5, uh, 8, and 10. Let's see. Uh, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. A little fast forward. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. A little fast forward. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Strange to tell them, the disciples, of the need to be born again if it were an impossibility until three and a half years later on the day of Pentecost. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him, John 3.36. John 5.24-25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So he's talking about dead spirits being made quickened through uh, the everlasting life that had presently at that point entered the soul of a repentant and believing seeker. Uh, Let's look on to the disciples are described as being in a right relation with God. We're told that their names were written in heaven, Luke 10, 20. Um, Don't rejoice in the spirits being subject to you, but rather because your names are written in heaven. Uh, Compare that with Hebrews 12, uh, 23, uh, that says to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Uh, So there is that same kind of idea. Revelation 21, 27 speaks of those 
uh, that won't enter into the city that defileth, that worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we realize this concept, the disciples had their names written in heaven as a, a firm declaration from Jesus himself. They had left all to follow Christ, which was a condition of discipleship to Christ. We read that in Mark 10, 28 through 30. Uh, he said, we, Peter says, we left all and we followed you. And Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Peter at least had received a revelation from God. We read in Matthew 16, 17, uh, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, Jesus said, uh, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Uh, we read in First First uh, Corinthians two twelve. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So there is a revelation. Uh, that is given to them. And that can only happen where the disciples are in a right relation with God. They were branches of the true vine and as such enjoyed the love of God. Uh, so we're, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me, ye can do nothing as the father hath loved me. So have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. This can only happen if they're saved. They had been chosen out of the world. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. They were repeatedly declared to be Christ's own, to have obeyed his word. See all of John 17. The disciples were not backslidden at the time of Pentecost. They received a divine commission to go out and to preach the gospel in all the world, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. They worshiped Jesus Christ. Um, and so backslidden people do not truly worship him in spirit and in truth. The only true worshiper, worshipers are those that worship in spirit and truth, Jesus says. Um, also, Thomas answers and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus declares that Thomas had believed at that point. So there you have it. Uh, they had great joy. A backslidden people don't have great joy. They have superficial joy. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising uh, and blessing God. And they had all joy and peace in believing. They were of one accord, Acts 1.14. Uh, so that's not a backslidden people. They can't be of one accord. They were spiritually warmed and enlightened, Luke 24.32. Uh, Did not our heart burn within us while Christ talked with us on the road of Emmaus? And while he opened to us the scriptures, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Uh, the natural man, we're told, uh, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness under him. Neither can uh, he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So a spiritual people are going to get that spiritual enlightenment and warmth through the revelation of God. Other persons besides the apostles were saved before Pentecost. Uh, we read about that with a man sick of the palsy lying on the bed. Jesus saw his faith and said to him, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven you, Matthew 9, 2. And six. Uh, we also read in Luke 7 47, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And uh, then they started questioning him. We read in John 4 39 uh, through 42, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the women, woman which testified, He told me every, everything that I had done. 
Um, and then he abode them two days and many more believed on his word. And he uh, then, so there we have another more believers outside of, of the disciples. Luke 19 uh, verse five, he's, he's speaking about that he has gone to be a man that is a sinner. So Zacchaeus was acknowledged as a, as a sinner. We see Zacchaeus repentance. If I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore them fourfold. And then Jesus says to him, this day is salvation. Come to thy house. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Then we find other persons besides the apostles that received a baptism of the spirit. And they were already converted when this took place. Cornelius household, the Holy Ghost fell on them while Peter was speaking to them, Acts 10, 44. We're told that the Cornelius was a devout and fearing God and praying all the time, Acts 10, 2 through 4. He was accepted of God, Acts 10, 35. He already knew the message of peace through Jesus Christ, Acts 10, 37. Uh, so some quote the word saved in Acts eleven fourteen to prove that Cornelius was not converted, but note that the word saved is often used in scripture to describe final salvation rather than an experience of conversion. We can read that in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, 13 and in other places, uh, but I'm not dogmatic on that. It could be possible that they were saved and filled with the spirit all in one uh, time. The Samaritans, they received the Holy Ghost, Acts 8, 17, um, before that uh, occurred, they had believed and had experienced joy, we're told in Acts 8, 6 through 8. Um, let's see. If we go to Apollos, uh, we read in Acts 18, 24 through 26, uh, a certain Jew uh, who was already saved, we read, uh, had been shown things more perfectly uh, by the, the two, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, what was John's baptism? We're told John's baptism was the baptism of repentance, Acts 19.4. What more than did Aquila and Priscilla teach him? Uh, they taught him more the baptism of the Holy Ghost and to believe on Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians, we're told about them that they were already disciples in Acts 19.1-4, referred to as disciples, but that they needed something more. And so they received something more. They were all baptized with the Holy Ghost. Dear listener, I hope that this is a help to you. Please listen to this again. If you um, if you tune into a podcast, whatever, look in your Bible, find some of these references, look it over yourself. There is plenty of uh, evidence throughout the scripture that this work of holiness, of entire sanctification, being filled with the spirit happens after one is saved by and large. And that the, if you have not experienced that, you need to experience it and you need to continue to walk in it. Uh, so please give us a call, 570-362-7782. Email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com. Go to our social media accounts. Tell your friends about this broadcast. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.